this old frog got him made. He turned the heat up a little bit, and he's like, ooh, this feels like bath water. Oh, the frog getting him a bath, getting all them necessary parts clean. Yeah, his frog's loving that. Now, all of a sudden, he's like, that water getting a little too hot. Mama, turn it down until you kind of get used to that, and you kind of become lethargic to it until all of a sudden you find yourself in boiling water. And it's too late. Community Church, and I thank you so much for turning us on, tuning us in. I trust, as always, that the Lord's going to bless you all over the place as we fellowship together here for the next several moments. We're going to jump into a brand new teaching tonight. It's one we've titled, Disobedience Equals Division. And what we're going to be talking about, listen very carefully because I want you to catch this, we're going to be talking about the spiritual climate in our country today, and actually the spiritual climate in our world. This is going to sound political in nature. I want to assure you that I have no desire to delve into politics, but the, the political arena in our country today is really leaning into a lot of spiritual issues and claiming to be spiritual when it really is not. Claiming to have some influence on our spiritual life and it, it does in some respects, but in a negative sort of way. Well, without preaching the whole message to you here in the introduction, we're going to jump right on into it. We're going over into the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. Old Testament book of 2 Kings. And on occasion, people say, hey, which is it uh, today? Do we live under the Old Testament or the New? And the answer to that is yes. The old helps us to understand so much about the principles that are given in the New Testament. So we're taking a look at both of them. Go with me, if you would, please, to uh, 2 Kings. 2 Kings, I want to begin reading around verse number 13, or chapter 13, and verse number 6. And the record puts it this way. Let me make sure you got that. 2 Kings, chapter 13, and verse number 6. And the record says this, But... And we'll get into that but in the message. They did not turn away from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. They continued in them. Look at that very carefully. They continued in those ways. Also, the Asherah pole remained standing in Samaria. We'll talk to you some more about that here momentarily. Before I pray and before we jump into that teaching, I want to remind you one last time that our 20th annual Youth Awakening is convening uh, this next weekend, and I trust and pray that you would avail yourselves of this opportunity. If you are a young person, a teenager, that you would take advantage of this Youth Awakening coming up January 27th, 28th, and 29th right here at New Life. You can check out our website. There's all kind of information there to help you know and understand what's going on. But this is an event. I'll tell you a little bit more about it, give you a little more detail uh, toward the end of the program. Father God, I thank you for each one listening in right now, and I pray that by your word, 
you would minister to our heart. And we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, you listen very closely. We'll be back here in just a little while to wrap things up. God bless. We found out among a number of other things that a departure from God's path, a departure from God's agenda is in the end trouble. In the end, it leads to trouble. Well, What was Israel's problem on this occasion? 2 Kings chapter 13. They had become a divided nation. Now let me pause for just a moment for emphasis. Check that out. They had become a divided nation. They were not, but they become a divided nation. Mostly, it was the result of dis obedience. and That's why we have titled this message as we have. Straying away, listen beloved, straying away from God's pathway not only leads to disobedience, it is disobedience that leads to division. James that we read for you last week at chapter 4 James makes this crystal clear. I'm not going to go back and read that passage right now, but I would encourage you to read that on your own time. Thus, beginning with this very chapter of Israel's history, they spiral into a divided nation. Watch this. And soon they become a defeated nation. What kind of nation? A defeated nation. Nation. Fill in number one with me on your study notes. It's very important. It's an underlying theme of this particular teaching. Once a nation allows for their king, quote unquote, or their leader, whatever they call that leader, whether they call that leader the monarch, the president, hey, you, whatever they call him, when they allow for their king to establish an agenda that is anti or, watch this, even other than God, then that nation is in trouble unless. That nation is in trouble unless. And we'll try to talk to you about that unless here in just a little while. Beloved, when things go awry, and I trust you understand what I mean by that, the king usually wants to blame the people. It's their fault, and the people want to blame the king. It's his fault. And in the end, the people and the king both suffer. That's not a good thing, is it? I would say to you this morning that ultimately it's the people not the king, the people, not the king that really bears the responsibility of being responsible. Why do I say this? Here's why I say this. Even when the king, even when the ruler is wicked, I mean bona fide, they've got papers on him. It's not contested that he is wicked. Even then, it's no excuse for the people to follow in his footsteps. Okay? 
Even under a brutal dictatorship, no king, no leader can force persons to do wrong. I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor, that's not right. They, they can. They can force us to do wrong. No, they cannot force you to do wrong. Granted, they may make your life miserably horrendous or even your dying breath ridiculously, miserably horrendous. But no one can make you do evil or follow after the evil ways of a wicked ruler, even a brutal dictator. John the baptizer, do you remember him? We call him John the Baptist. Died horribly. Did you know that? You wouldn't think that would be the case. But he died horribly. Do you know why he died horribly? Lost his head, what I'm talking about, because he stood up for right in the face of wrong. It's very important you get that. He stood up for what was right, even in the, or stood up for what was right in the face of wrong. That was John the baptizer. What about my old buddy Mordecai? Do you remember Mordecai from the Old Testament? And his pain in the neck, <laughs> Haman. <laughs> you see what I did there? <laughs> Haman, watch this, wasn't satisfied to snuff out one Hebrew, but he was so torqued that he schemed to annihilate the entirety of, of Mordecai's people. But God intervened. I love it when God intervenes, don't you? And in this particular instance, he did. And Haman, or Haman, lost out on a life-sized game of hangman as a result of it. <laughs> Showing that God and God's people will prevail. Fill in number two with me on your study notes. I just want you to be aware. And we applaud when we say there's trouble, but God will prevail. Yes, God will prevail. But be aware, the hateful, hate-filled Hamans of the world, and there are more of them out there, they can be a downright pestilence for a season of your life in this present existence. It's important for you to know that. The Christian life isn't always a bowl of cherries. It isn't always like when we come together like this on Sunday morning and we pray and we sing and we hug and slobber all over one another. Uh, at some point in time, you've got to go out there where the Hamans are. Hmm? Now watch. In particular with nations that have the privilege of electing their king. Does that sound familiar to you? A nation that has the privilege of electing their king? Sounds familiar to me. In fact, I'm getting ramped up for it. In particular with nations that have the privilege of electing their kings, it is absolutely incumbent upon the people, compulsory that the people bear responsibility, the responsibility of putting godly persons into positions 
of authority. Watch this new life, whether we're talking about a school board member or the president of the United States of America. It is incumbent upon us to strive to put godly people in those positions of authority. Otherwise, you might end up with a Haman looking to hang you. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about, Terry. I do know what I'm talking about, y'all. Okay? Will you note again the latter part of verse 2 of our text, verse 6, where it is confirmed to us on authority of Almighty God that two ungodly leaders had caused Israel to commit sins? Didn't have to be that way, but a lot of times it goes that way. Godly leaders are essential because the ungodly, watch this, whether it's personal with them, we laid a pretty good foundation last week for uh, responsibility upon uh, or helping others to know and understand this. But beloved, the ungodly bring devastating consequences. Devastating consequences among themselves and among those quite often that are within their sphere of influence. Now, sometimes, everybody say sometimes. That means not all the time. Okay? Sometimes. God's grace. Aren't you thankful we serve a gracious God? Sometimes God's grace allows for the ultimate devastation of a sinful leader to grind on very slowly, day after day after week after week after month. So much so that quite often it may not appear to the physical eyes and the unobservant very damaging in the beginning. In other words, that wicked behavior may look like it's going unpunished and there's no consequences. And we look and we think, well, they did, they got away with it. I think I'll give me some of that. The old frog in the kettle routine. Are you familiar with that? Have you ever boiled a frog? I can look at some of you, Glenn Carter, and tell you probably boiled a frog at some point in time. It's just how we are. You know, if you drop a frog in a pot of boiling water, you know what he'll do? He'll hop out. How's he do that? I don't know how he does that. God just gave him that ability. He's not going to stay around and get scalded. But you put him in a pot of cool water. He's like, ah, oh, this is some cool water up in here. Boy, this old frog got him made. He turned the heat up a little bit, and he's like, ooh, this feels like bath water. Oh, the frog getting him a bath, getting all them necessary parts clean. Yeah, this frog's loving that. Now, all of a sudden, he's like, that water getting a little too hot. Mama, turn it down until you kind of get used to that, and you kind of become lethargic to it until all of a sudden you find yourself in boiling water. And it's too late. Does that sound like anybody you know spiritually? Listen to him. This is number three on your study notes. This is one of the goodest study notes I've ever put before you right here. That which is wrong with America today. That which is wrong with America today isn't readily observable 
to the average person. You see the average person on the screen right there? He says, I have no idea. His head's exploding. You again, that our character, Jehoahaz, was evil. Watch this. Not because the average person acknowledged it, but because of what we read in verse 2. We're told he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In the eyes of the Lord. Now watch. One of the telltale signs in the beginning was not so much what Jehoahaz did as that which he did not do. How many of you know there's some things that you're not supposed to do, but there's some things you're supposed to do? And, and vice versa. Vice versa, as the old saying goes. What did he do? He refused to call out the sin among the people. And there's all kind of instances in the Old Testament in particular where leaders, where fathers have failed to call out the sins of their sons even. And it didn't end up too good for the fam. He refused to call out the sin among the people. The scriptures tell us he did not turn away from them. He did not turn away from the sins of the people. Listen, I'm about to do some good preaching up in here. Oh, Jehoahaz wanted to join the deviant crowd and continue, or perhaps a better word is, is to say to perpetuate the sin that had been handed down to him. You understand? He was just doing what had been handed down to him. He wanted to do what was popular. It was handed down to him. He wanted to do what was popular and convenient. Everybody say convenient. Instead of doing what God had purposed was the right thing to do. I just have to pause and ask a question right here. Do we, and I'm talking to the United States of America, do we see this? Repeated, being repeated in our own nation right now? Number four on your study notes. I believe what I'm telling you right here. This is key. If every youngin would get this, it would make a difference in their life. Every present generation. How many of you are a part of the present generation? Can I see your hand? There's several of you that are dead, but the rest of you. How many of you are part of the present generation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Preacher, I wouldn't raise my hand if you held a gun to my head. I get it. I get it. You're afraid somebody's going to accuse you of being one of them chairs maniacs. Every present generation of human beings, as opposed to green beings, every generation of human beings must come to grips with the reality of sin. I'm talking about that which God says is wrong and also that which God says is right, the do's. How many of you know there's some things we're supposed to do? Is that right? Like Adam, most people want to blame their own sin on someone else. Isn't that true? Even philosophizing. We're all philosophers when it comes to this. That we aren't to be held responsible for our own actions. This is, 
uh, pandemic today. We're not to be held responsible for our own actions because our actions are the consequences of our forebears' failure to live out the truth before us so it's not our fault. In other words, we observed their sin and we accepted their sin as normal instead of looking in the book, the Word of God, and understanding what God's normal actually is. You still with me? The Holy Spirit began to remind me when I got to this point in my studies of a story of Israel it's, it's somewhat comical if it wasn't so ridiculous. Israel lost the Word of God. What kind of a goofball do you have to be to lose the Word of God? If there is a God, and there is, amen? And He gave a Word, and He did, amen? And what kind of a dingbat do you have to be to lose it? I can understand losing your car keys, your umbrella, all kinds of stuff, even your cell phone. <laughs> You'll never lose that. But the Word of God? Well, a little bit later on, God would allow for Babylon, Babel, Babylon, to seize and deport his people. Why would God do that? Why would God let the enemy come in and haul his people off? Because they're being stupid. Okay? He allowed... Babylon, this is one of many times to come in and haul them off, Israel. Before that fiasco transpired, which, by the way, as I mentioned earlier, was a long, slow, methodical process, a young boy, listen to me, teenagers, 13, 18, 19, teenagers, a young boy was placed upon the throne of Israel. Do you know that? His name was Josiah. Just a chap, a youngin. Josiah's daddy was, as we'd say back home, mean as a rattlesnake. I've had that said about me. Mean as a rattlesnake. That was old Josiah's daddy. He was as wicked as they come and would be another in the great long line of Hebrew kings that would be assassinated. I don't know about you, but as I read through the Old Testament record, I'm like, I wouldn't want to be the king of them people. Because every time you turn around, somebody was getting assassinated. Well, his daddy was one of them. Mean. Now, Beloved, we're going to cut in right there, and as I do so, let me put this question before you one more time. Do you know where your Word of God is, your copy of the Word of God, your Bible? Now listen, if you say, I don't own one, and I'm dead serious, give us a call. There's some contact information there on the screen, and we will get you one. I'm not kidding you. We would be glad to put one in your hands. But uh, otherwise, those of you that claim to be followers of Christ, you claim that you're going to heaven at some point in time, do you know where your Bible is, your Word of God? I am amazed at the number of people who tell me they believe in the Bible. And I ask them, do you read it? They say something like this, well, not like I should. 
I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. Do you read it? Those of you that do, can you be encouraged to not only to read it, but to study it? Do you know the Bible instructs us to study it? Isn't that interesting? And what do I mean by that? As you open it up and you begin to read, by the way, if you're new to the Bible, I would encourage you to find the New Testament book of John and start reading right there. That's what I counsel, encourage, and advise my disciples to do because it's just a simplified version of the gospel tells you a lot about Jesus. But when you open that up, begin to read it and read it prayerfully. What does that look like? It looks like this. Lord, here I am. You're God. This is your word. They're one and the same. Parts of it I don't understand. Holy Spirit, help me understand it. Can you also be encouraged uh, to not to try to eat this thing all at one time? I was asked once upon a time how you eat an elephant. Well, I had no idea. I've never had any elephant. But the response was one bite at a time. The Word of God, the Bible, is kind of an elephant in terms of the enormity of it. If you're not that familiar with it, you look at it, it's very daunting. It's overwhelming in many respects. But if you take it a word at a time, a sentence at a time, a verse at a time, a chapter at a time, and prayerfully ask Holy Spirit, ask God's Spirit to open it up to you, it'll begin to work for you. You'll begin to understand it. But before you can understand it, you have to read it. And before you can read it, you have to find it. You have to have a copy. Be encouraged to keep yours close by. Can you do that? Father, I thank you for each one listening in right now. And I thank you for your word. I thank you that we live in a country where your word is just so prevalent. And I pray for those that have a copy that read it. I pray that they would be more intense about that in these days. I pray for those that do not have a word, Lord, that they would follow through and uh, take us up on the offer to gift them one, that they might begin to read it and know it and understand it and understand your will for their life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, speaking of the word, we have an event here at New Life. We call it Youth Awakening. We've been doing this for 20 years. 20 years we've been involved in Youth Awakening, and we would love to have your teenagers come and be a part of this weekend event. Uh, having a speaker come in, he actually grew up here in, uh, at New Life and is, uh, had planted a church or has planted a church in upstate New York. He's going to be back here with us sharing over the weekend. We have a, a band, kind of an in-house band that the Lord has put together. As, uh, will help our kids to worship, and then they're going to be challenged to know and understand the Word of God and to live it out. Going to be a lot discussed here on over the weekend. If you are interested in taking part, again, the contact information is on the screen. It is a paid event. Starts Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and I'm telling you, you're going to eat a lot of food while you're here, and the cost is basically to take care of that and some other uh, logistical challenges that we have in putting on such an event. We would love to have your teens. We're not trying to steal them away from your church fellowship. We're trying to equip them and send them back. And that's what we have purposed to do. Entrust, uh, entrust us with them. We'll send them back better than what we received them. That's a, that's a money back guarantee. I'm Terry Knight, the pastor of New Life Community Church. I've got to get out of here. I do want to remind you we have a regular schedule of activities here Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Note that oddball starting time. We also meet on Wednesday night. We just can't get enough of this place. Wednesday night 
at 7 o'clock. Hey, give us a look-see. We'd love to see you coming. We'll save you a seat. Terry Knight, pastor of New Life Community Church, wishing you a great week. And remember, my friends, Jesus is coming back. Is he coming back for you? Lord God.